0: Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak. For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. This uh, past week, Pastor West and I were able to go to a pastor's conference in Chicago that our denomination puts on every year. And it's always a good time to go. And and along with great speakers and, and relevant and helpful workshops... Uh, we have the chance to network with our colleagues and, uh, and catch up with what 's going on and hear what 's going on in our lives and encourage each other but also though we get we get free stuff, which is always cool uh, we, there are uh, the domination and, and uh, certain donors provide you know usually five six seven books around a variety of topics, and we get to bring them home like we we need more books right wes uh, but but they 're great books they 're helpful books and one book in particular that i i 've already got into some and um, And is by a covenant pastor named John Teeter. He's a uh, pastor in Long Beach, California. And I've actually been in one of his workshops a number of years ago. uh, But I wanted to read his book again. It was a good refresher, and there's some new material in there. And the title of the book is The Power of the 72. The the 72 refers to uh, Luke chapter 10, where Luke records a story that Jesus has all these disciples together. There's the 12, but there's also another 72. That he sends out and he sends them out to go ahead of him, it says, to tell others that he's coming, to tell them that the kingdom of God is near and to share about who Jesus is and what he's been doing, what he's been sharing and how he's impacted their lives. And, and so uh, the, the, the title of the book, The Power of the 72, uh, and, and with that background, obviously the book is about what evangelism, right? How do we most effectively share our faith in Jesus Christ? What are the objections that we most commonly hear to people who choose not to believe? And also, then, what is the cultural landscape in which we live and breathe and move? Well, in this book, Teeter lays out some very thought provoking ideas and uh, information. He begins by saying, stating the obvious we live in a postmodern, post Christian world. What that means, in other words, is that the prevailing worldview and sentiment of the average person. Today is increasingly one where any sort of biblical worldview is not only rejected, but not really even considered as a as a valid option. More and more, he says, the idea of absolute truth has been put aside for a different approach, which places all religious and philosophical ideas on equal footing with equal value. And truth, he says, backed up with facts and surveys, Truth is now received primarily through experiences and relationships, not through pros- propositional teaching and an exchange of ideas. George Barna, Barna who is a respected pollster and sociologist, uh, researched a, a couple of years ago the spiritual practices, beliefs, and attitudes of the 18-30-year-old through 30 old bracket of young Americans. And he found that after leaving home, within a few years... Over 80% of Christian young adults had left the church. Most, he says, will never come back. Among those who did not claim to be a Christian in the survey, 16% had a favorable view of Christians. 3% had a favorable view of evangelicals. When asked, what is the word that comes to mind when you hear the word Christian, a majority responded with the word judgmental. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're and and also he found that church attendance is down to around 17 percent or so nationwide. Now, now maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're you're thinking of friends or family that you care about who are in that 83 percent or so who don't have a a church home or a faith community, people who apparently don't believe and have faith in Christ and, and you've got a burden for them. You care about them. You want them to know the love and grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. And so as people who claim to follow Christ, we've got a lot of work to do, don't we? When you look at the, the numbers, because there are tremendous needs in our world, but also with tremendous needs means there are tremendous opportunities because the light shines the brightest wind in the in the darkest of nights. And so we are to love and to help people and to point them to the grace and the love that God offers all of us in Jesus Christ. This morning we're continuing our sermon series, Living Into Our Call. And um, what we've been doing is, it's a series about the priorities of our church, about the things that we think are the most important things that we are to be doing as a church, as individuals and corporately, and the most important things that we are to embody and to live out and to become. And we've listed these priorities, we've framed them as verbs, not nouns, because with nouns you can kind of say, oh yeah, I agree with that, but verbs... We, we, we're called to live them out. We have to do something with them. And so we began with the priority of disciple. And we defined it as a life-changing journey with Christ in others. In other words, we, when we come to faith in Christ, we are to follow him through the rest of our lives, to journey with him, to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ, and to do it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we're designed to do That's what Jesus did. He had 12 disciples. He did life with them. We are to do the same. The next priority we looked at was the priority of worship. And we defined it as a wholehearted response to all that God has done for us in Christ and and all that he is, all who he is. And last week we looked at the priority of serve, that we are to be compelled by God's love and go into the world in Jesus' name and meet the needs of the people around us. Today, obviously, the priority is evangelize. And we define it as inviting others to a relationship, a personal relationship, with Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to the topic of evangelism, Christians and non-Christians alike have something in common. Most of us do. It, it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. For non-Christians, it conjures up ideas of being pressured or, or being judged or, or you know that sort of thing, sign on the line. Uh, for, for Christians, sometimes the conscious of ideas, oh, I'm afraid I might offend somebody or I won't know what to say. It, it might harm my relationship with them. But evangelism is good news. It's literally sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Unless you think, well, sharing your faith is best left for those who are gifted. I mean, evangelism is one of the spiritual gifts. Or you think, well, maybe sharing your faith is only for those who are, you know, mature. In their walk with Christ. The interesting thing about the 72 who are sent out by Jesus is this. They're not part of the inner circle. They're not part of the core of leaders that Jesus has been pouring into for for three years. The the 12 disciples. We don't know anything about the 72. They're just part of the mass of people following Jesus Christ. We don't know their names. We don't know where they're from. We don't know what what their jobs are. We don't even know how long they've been following Jesus. Pretty sure that most of them, it's been less than the 12 disciples. They're just part of the average disciple mass, like you and me. The only thing special about them that we can see in the scripture is that Jesus calls them, He appoints them. Uh, Look at verse 10, or 1 of Luke chapter 10, where it says, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So while we need to grow in our faith, while we need to mature spiritually, we do not have to have it all together with all the answers and all the experience to share our faith. We are all called to be used by God to reach others, to invite them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We simply need to be willing to go where Jesus leads us. I also want to draw attention briefly before we move to another passage in Luke 19, in Luke, which is chapter 19, is is what Jesus tells the 72 to do before they go. In verse uh, 2, Jesus says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So in other words, we are to pray that God the Father will send people to go into the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to say a little bit more about prayer and evangelism a little bit later in the message. But the role of prayer in evangelism, of sharing our faith, cannot be overstated. If we want to be effective and fruitful in sharing our faith, we must be people of prayer. Okay, so now let's take a look at um, another passage in Luke, chapter 19, verses 37 through 40. And when I read it, I might think, what's this have to do with sharing our faith? But stick with me. And in the passage, before I read it, the context is it's the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's what we call Palm Sunday. And it's the week before he goes to the cross and rises from the tomb. And there's a huge crowd gathered. There's a buzz about Jesus. They've heard about him. They've heard him speak, many of them. They've seen him do miracles. And there's great anticipation. And it says this in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, tell them to be quiet. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, what's Jesus mean by that? What's the point of this exchange? In a Rolling Stone uh, magazine interview, Tanya Donnelly, lead singer of a Grammy-nominated alternative rock band named Belly, I guess stomach had already been taken. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's for some reason, God is embarrassing to people. It doesn't embarrass somebody to talk about how they completely got bombed the night before or puked all over themselves. But God is a really embarrassing subject, and that's kind of strange. I would say, yes, I would agree with that. She's right. You know, It's odd that we're often afraid or uncomfortable talking about faith, but we'll talk about sex or money, our rough childhood, problems at work or at school, whatever it might be, our finances even. But, but we have a hard time sometimes talking about faith. You often maybe heard it said that We are to stay away from politics and religion and conversation. Saying politics are too controversial and and religion is too private. But Jesus does not view religion, faith, as private. Personal, yes. Personal and that each of us is to relate to God. It has to be our own faith, not our parents, not our spouses, not our friends' faith. But Jesus is saying... In the face of the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders and rulers of the day, it's right and good in other words, he's parap- I'm paraphrasing it's right and good for my disciples to, to speak of me passionately, to sing and shout my praises. In fact, he says that they did not. the very stones would speak of my glory. If we claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, speaking about him to others is not optional. It's it's expected. The natural response of a person who has met Christ is to speak about Him, to tell others about Him, a lot, consistently, faithfully. But how do we do that effectively and faithfully in the context in which we live? First, we we need to begin here. We are to treat other people As individuals created and loved by God, not as projects to be one for God. Genesis 1 tells us that God creates us in his own image. Male and female, he creates us in his image. 1 Peter 3.15, a passage about sharing our faith, says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he adds this. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, each and every person who has ever walked the face of the earth is a person created by God and loved by God, a person for whom Christ gave his life. We need to value them as much as Jesus did and does. The co-worker who's vulgar or profane, who's just not very likable, Jesus loves him. The classmate who thinks all Christians are a little crazy in the head or maybe a little intolerant or bigoted, Jesus loves her. The neighbor who is the nicest guy you'll ever meet, but who doesn't believe it because he just doesn't see it, doesn't buy it. Jesus loves him too. And Jesus loves them as much as he loves you and me. And when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he died for our sins, but also theirs too. You know, there's this powerful phrase in the Gospels where we're told that Jesus looked at the crowds and had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't say that Jesus looked on them with disgust or impatience. Why don't they get it yet? He doesn't look at them with condescension or with irritation or judgmentalism. He sees their pain. He sees their hurt. He sees their sin. Yes, he sees their need for him, for forgiveness. And he has compassion on them. That is a huge part of effectively sharing our faith. Myron Augsburger, who's a pastor and writer, says this about sharing our faith. When I evangelize, he writes, I'm simply trying to describe, <coughs> describe people's deepest concerns and show how Jesus addresses them. So, for example, if somebody's struggling with anger, you can show them how Jesus can give them peace or somebody struggles with with, uh, forgiving themselves with, with guilt or shame, you can talk about how Jesus offers forgiveness and will forgive anything that we've ever done by simply putting our trust in Him. If someone is struggling with feeling unloved or rejected, we can point them to God's unconditional love and His acceptance for them. We are to see people through Jesus' eyes so that when they look into our eyes, they see love. They see care. They see authentic compassion. Second, we are to look for where God is already at work in their lives and join Him there and follow Him there. You know, I truly believe that God is is calling people constantly to Him, people who do not know Him, people that we think are far from Him. God is at work in their lives, drawing Him, sending them messages, working their lives, sending people across their path. Maybe something they see in nature, something they experience at work, or, or a loss, or a challenge, or something in their lives. God is constantly at work calling people to, to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And for us as believers, we can join God in that work. We can, we can ask them questions. We can listen to them. We can hear their stories, discern what God is doing, and then lovingly point that out. You know, God will often create a a hunger or a dissatisfaction in a person that will lead them to find their satisfaction in Him. So if we want to be effective in reaching others for Christ, we need to look for what God is at work in the lives of the people that we know and love and are praying for and then join God in that work. Third, we are to pray first, then listen, then ask questions after listening, and then speak. The... uh, Apostle Paul said these words to Timothy, a young pastor and believer that he was mentoring and discipling. I urge you then to pray for everyone. This goes back to what I said earlier. We cannot overstate how important prayer is in the work of evangelism. In the Bible, the, the Greek word uh, often associated with the, the gospel is the word mysteria or mysterion, the mystery of the gospel. In other words, no one can get to the bottom of it. It, it occurs in the, in, the, in the supernatural realm. We can see the outward working of conversion, but, but how it happens and when it happens, it, it's a mystery. We can't see it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. And we need to remember from the Scriptures that there is a, a war going on in a realm that we cannot see. And as a war waits for the, the souls of the people around us, our best friend, our best friend, our family member, our neighbor, our coworker, our classmate. 2 Corinthians 4.4 describes the effects of this war. The God of this world, Satan, blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel, which is the glory of Christ. We are to pray. Pray that God will open the eyes and the minds and the hearts of the people around us that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. That's why every year we have the Bringing My World to Christ or One Step Closer, all these different variations that we do. But it's all about praying for people, believing that God will work in their lives and that our prayers make a difference. And I believe that they do. Fourth and finally, we are to talk naturally and with authenticity about what Jesus has done in our lives. Now, prerequisite, of course, for this is that we're letting God do something in our lives. That's not just something that happened a long time ago, but but, that God is actively doing something in our lives. Billy Graham said this regarding evangelism. It could be that one of the great hindrances to evangelism today is the poverty of our own experience. In other words, one of the maybe reasons that in our our church in, in America... That there seems to be not as much fruit in people coming to Christ. maybe the connection is is that our own faith in life with Christ is pretty thin and inconsistent. Donald Miller, in his book "Blue Like Jazz," writes this about his evangelistic misgivings before his faith deepened. He says, "I could not, in good conscience, tell a friend about a faith that did not excite me. I could not share something I was not experiencing." And I wasn't experiencing Christianity. It didn't do anything for me at all. It felt like math, like a system of rights and wrongs and political beliefs, but it wasn't mysterious. It wasn't God reaching out of heaven to do wonderful things in my life. And if I would have shared Christianity with somebody, it would have felt like mostly I was trying to get somebody to agree with me rather than to meet a living and personal God. We cannot lead somebody to a place we ourselves have not been. Our effectiveness in sharing our faith with others is greatly impacted and directly connected by how strong our own personal connection, personal relationship with Jesus Christ is. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been around a person whose faith is so contagious, so passionate, so strong? You just can't resist. You're drawn to that person and you want what they have. Those are the people that God most often uses. And it has less to do with a personality type or even gifting than it does with their passion and their connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John 15 when he said, Abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. So if we want to be effective in sharing our faith, if we want to be fruitful, then we we must begin by working our own relationship with Christ, by growing in Christ, by walking daily with Him, by spending time in prayer, by spending time in the Word. And out of the overflow of that, sharing our faith. The mission statement of Jesus Christ, in my opinion, comes from Earlier in Luke 19, where Jesus said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And our mission and our purpose as individuals and as a church is to come alongside Jesus in that mission. To see others through Jesus' eyes, to treat them with dignity and respect. To look for where God is at work and believe that He is and join Him there to pray faithfully and fervently for those who do not yet know Jesus Christ, that their eyes would be opened, their minds would be opened, their hearts would be opened to the goodness and love and grace of Jesus. And to talk naturally about what Christ is doing in us as we abide in Him daily. And to invite others to a personal and saving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that you looked down upon us in our need and you saw us as apart from you, dead in our sin, in need of saving, lost. And you took initiative and you sent your son Jesus, and he came to seek us, and he came to save us. Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to have a burden for those who do not yet know. Help us to be faithful in prayer. Help us to build relationships, to, to listen. Help us to see them as, as people that you love and desperately want to come to know you. Help us, Lord, to abide in you daily. That out of the fruit of that connection, out of the strength of that connection, that you would work innocent through us to bring more and more beloved people, men, women, and children, to faith in your Son, Jesus. We ask this in your name, Lord. May it be so. Amen.